Welcome to episode 14. Today's guest is one of the most talented entrepreneurs and business intellects I've came across. I'm talking about Roland Frazier. Roland practiced business tax and security law for over 12 years and now is an active investor who drives growth and scale in his portfolio companies. In this episode, he shares his insights on how to establish profitable relationships and what business model he implements. Get ready to have your mind blown. This is Unleash Your Inner Legend, a podcast featuring modern day legends sharing their life choices, habits, and routines that got them to where they are today. Get ready to be inspired and to take massive action to unleash your inner legend. Okay, you guys, I am super ecstatic to have the amazing Mr. Roland Frazier on today. Welcome, Roland. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, it's so awesome to have you on and I can't wait to dig into like your journey and like the habits and choices and routines you established to become the businessman that you are today. So it's funny, I had attended the War Room Intensive, I believe it was last month in June with Dimitri. And we were working oh, on personal, yeah, yeah, we're working on personal branding and specifically, you know, the websites and like the personal brand website, your story. And it was interesting because your website was pretty much the poster child for their formula. And <laughs> <laughs> your story really caught me off guard because seeing you like in traffic and conversion, war room, seeing you from like and as an audience perspective, I would never think of you being as one of those music scene kids. So I was caught off guard. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I played for, I was actually just figuring it out. I played for, uh, uh, from age 15 to 42 out in clubs. So I did that for quite a while, just through all the different business things I was always playing. It's a, continues to be a big passion of mine. So what got you into like the music industry? You know, just uh, I just as a kid, I you know I liked all of the. I went to concerts. I liked the bands. I was like, you know, I'd like to learn how to play. So uh, I did. I I never had the patience for lessons. So I ended up learning how to play by ear, and then uh, uh, that tends to get you connected with other people like that, which is you know the band scene. And started uh, just started uh, playing keyboards and bands, and then ended up uh, doing all kinds of things after that. So it was super fun. That's awesome. So you're like the self-taught. I love it because growing up, like when we were, when I was a kid, like that was my outlet was going to music because there wasn't very much to do. So there was like the local music scene. So I was like, oh, that's super cool to kind of see like, you know, that similarity. So that was awesome. Yeah, it's really fun. So you come from being like that creative, the music kid, everything else like that. What would you say that help you kind of marry those two parts of your brain because what's interesting is I would like I said I never would see you as being like that and the reason why is because you're such a phenomenal businessman and a lot of people like myself included we have that creative outlet and that's what drives our um, entrepreneur side of our th- of life but we have trouble focusing on the business part of things so what what helped you kind of marry those two personalities I, you know, I, I really don't know. I, uh, I just, I like complicated things. So I like, I like music because there are lots of pieces to put together to organize in a band, in an orchestra, in a symphony. There's all kinds of different skills and different uh, functions that go in. The, the lyric side, the music side, the melody, the, the chorus, the, 
there's just all these different bits that come together to make to make up a song or a performance and so i ended up managing bands i ended up buying uh the equipment that uh you know that that went into it and i liked the technical side of music production i liked uh, the complexities of assembling different waves and sounds to create the sounds that would come out of the keyboard. I enjoyed the uh, the mixing consoles and all the different uh, buttons and channels and things that had to come together to do that. When you're recording in a recording studio, you record all of the bits and pieces individually from the vocals to the guitars, you know, the rhythm guitars, the lead guitar, all of that kind of stuff. And even on on bits of that, there are mics that go on guitar amps and there's direct inputs and drums have multiple mics on cymbals and bass drums and all that. And that's just a, a, a way of saying that in everything in life, I believe, and including business, that there are, there, there's something fun about identifying the individual threads that will make up the fabric of whatever you want to accomplish. And so I think the commonality in all of these things is identifying those separate threads and how can you get the best threads to weave into the fabric of whatever it is that you want to create? Wow, that's amazing. So it's really taking the elements of a song, the same thing as taking the elements of a business. You have the metrics, the KPIs, the fundamentals, you have all that. It's no different than composing a song, but it's just, you know, in a, in a business sense. I love that. That's an amazing analogy. Yeah, because I would argue that, that uh, the ultimate customer experience, the customer experience and the product is what makes you know 90% of the business go and you know you can you can factor in the employees and the suppliers and, and all of those things too and all those things have to work together and you have to serve all of those different parts of the business to create a, a success and so it's it's very similar you have to have a hook in a song you have to have a hook in an offer for a business right it's very similar love that so let's talk about your very first investment or business still. How did it change your perspective on the business game? And then what kind of hooked you into being an entrepreneur and then owning all these successful businesses? You know what? I, I was, uh, I just have always liked it. My, I think I, I inherited, I think we inherit our goals and our interests from the people that we are most around and most inspired by. And that kind of sticks with us throughout our lives. So when I was growing up, my father was an attorney, but he was a business, he was a tax attorney, still is actually. And, um, and so I got to see all these different entrepreneurs doing things that they really enjoyed. If somebody liked music, they owned a series of music stores. If they liked horses, they got into horse racing. It was, it was just really cool to see that, that that's kind of what entrepreneurialism is, is that you find something that you enjoy and then you figure out how do you make money with it. And so it, it was never to me, I never thought about getting into it or getting inspired by it because I was in it and inspired by it before I even started my first business, before I even did my first business deal. So I was just looking for what am I going to do uh, to, to, to enjoy what I do and make money doing it. And I, I only had a couple of jobs in my life and I, I wasn't particularly thrilled with working for other people. So I was absolutely clear that I didn't want to do that. <laughs> so I was like, what can I do to not have to work for other people? That's amazing. So what was that environment of being around your dad and seeing all the people that he was do uh, doing business with and then seeing that it was possible to not hate your J-O-B, but to really just to create your own reality and then just have a, almost be create a life that you're obsessed with, like, just for living and being. 
That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Exactly. So what was your first business still? Uh, my first business deal. So uh, I had a couple of things that I did to make money, but my first business deal was um, when I was selling real estate. Uh, one of the developers that I, I, I got my real estate license when I was 18. So I was selling real estate and I was curious as to how to do more than just sell for one, uh, just sell one house at a time, like go get a listing and sell the house. So I was, I was like, well, who has lots of houses? Developers have lots of houses. So what if I could get a developer to let me sell their houses, then I wouldn't have to go get all these listings and I could do, I, I could do a lot more. So, um, so I ended up getting in touch with and becoming friends with several developers. And I was like, how do you guys make money? And how do you do all these houses? Well, we, we buy the lots and get entitlements. What's an entitlement? You know, it's like all that we, we, well, we put in, we, they're zoned one thing and then we get them zoned another thing. And then we put in all the water and sewer and turn them into these things called lots. And then we sell the lots to some builders to pay for the land. And then we build houses on the lots that we keep. And, um, and that's how we do it. So well, how do you, how do you buy the land and stuff? Do you just have a bunch of money? No, we raise it from investors. I was like, okay. Tell me about that. Well, we go out and we get all these different people that have money that don't know what to do with it. And they <laughs> give it to us. And then we give them a percentage of the profits. And so I was like, okay, well, how, how can I help with that? And I ended up getting an insurance license to get key man insurance for the, for those guys. And then I got my securities license when I was 20 so that I could actually sell the, um, you know, go out and find investors and get paid for doing that. So I was just kind of, how can I consolidate all of these uh, opportunities for money by getting whatever I need to get, whatever permission from the government in the form of a license or whatever skills I need to be able to do it. And one of them said, Hey, would you like to, you've, you know, you've got a little bit of money. Would you like to um, invest in a, I think it was, I remember how much land it was now, but um, it was basically if you'll if you'll invest in this, then you should be able to um, to get a good return on your money. And I think it was in the neighborhood of twelve thousand twelve thousand dollars or so that I had saved. It, it might have been a little bit more, um, but I do remember I invested in it. And I ended up with roughly three times my money back, and I was like, "This is pretty cool." And it was only like a year later, and so that kind of got me hooked on uh, on real estate as an investment. That's incredible. It kind of reminds me of like the Jay-Z model of like, if you're going to be drinking the drink, you might as well own it. So it's like, if you're going to be selling the real estate, you might as well go ahead and have a business interest in it and then create it yourself so that you're not having to just be on this hamster wheel of, of getting the leads and maintaining the leads and all that. So that I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. And what I found out later in college is that they call that vertical integration. So it's in any situation where you are selling a product, you should think about how can you go down and own the channel of distribution and up and own the channel of supply. So if you're ma manufacturing a drink, for example, then who is, who, where are the stores that the drink is being sold? What are the channels the drink is being sold in to use the Jay-Z example? And mm -hmm. you go out and you buy those, you buy those stores, you buy those websites, you buy those, those channels. And then you go and say, who's making this? Who's making the top? Who's making the bottle? Who's making the actual liquid that goes in? And then you go buy those formulating and manufacturing companies. And now you own all of the profit margin instead of only a small portion of it. Because, right, there's, mar there's margin at the top. There's margin in distribution. So then with real estate, it's the same thing. It's like, okay, if I am selling real estate, then I'm just 
one person. The real estate itself is not, you know, unless you're on a volcano flow in Hawaii is not being manufactured, but the, but there are, there are channels of distribution for that. And the manufacturer of the home is the developer that put the thing together, right? So it's like, how can I go and find somebody who's manufacturing and, and get involved in that channel? And then in the channel of distribution, it would be, are there other agents that are selling? You know, let's say that you're co-broking and there's other agents that are coming in and, um, and helping you sell the properties. You know, is it possible to own, to acquire those channels of distribution too? And since it's illegal, as far as I know, to own human beings, you have to think about maybe buying a brokerage or something like that. For sure. And, you know, I had just listened to one of your podcasts, your business lunch podcast, where you were in, uh, speaking with the guys that have the, what is the hundred percent brokerage. So like, I just see, I see a lot of that, like how your business dealings kind of entwine with all that. And it's incredible to kind of see it, like connect all the dots with your, yeah, and your I actually, yeah, I actually, uh, I actually invested in that company. So I am, uh, I, I own part of that. So that, that's the same thing as, I start, I, I consult with people. I don't sell my time. I never want to trade dollars for hours. So people ask me to consult all the time and I say, I don't. But what I do do is I will help you for free within the bounds of the time that I have available to do that. Where I spend most of my time is in companies that decide they want to give me or sell me part of the company to have me help with the things that I'm good at. And so um, I helped those guys out. They were part of our, we have a mastermind called the War Room and they were part of that for about four years. And we always talked about, you know, would it be good to do business together? Yeah, it probably would. And, um, you know, they, they grew and I helped advise them. And when the opportunity to become an investor came when they bought out one of their partners, um, they said, you know, hey, would you be interested in investing? And I said, absolutely. So that's, that's kind of my, my deal flow uh, super secret strategy is to be, uh, you know, is to be selfless and give advice. Don't charge, don't pin yourself into the role of being a consultant. Cause mm-hmm. if you get labeled a consultant, then they can always buy your time, but you're, you're never going to make more than the most you can sell your time for. Whereas mm-hmm. if you can become an owner, if you just help out and you prove very valuable to somebody, then when the opportunity to be an owner comes about, you'll have the opportunity to make an unlimited amount of money on your time instead of selling it, you know, for some hourly rate. Like that little nugget, you guys can go ahead and stop listening to this because that right there is amazing. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Let's keep rolling. Um, so you're definitely a perfect example of you are who you hang out with. So how did your journey start with Ryan Dice and Perry and the digital marketing, digital marketer journey? How did that all start? Yeah, it, it's a great question. It, it started very similar to what uh, the, the relationship with Big Block started out as, which was um, I actually, there was an event called Traffic and Conversion Summit that I heard about. I went to, I thought it was amazing. It was the best content that I had seen for digital marketing. And um, I, uh, they had this thing called War Room, this mastermind that now I own part of. And um, I, I I was like, that looks interesting, but I don't think I'm quite ready for that. It's expensive. And I don't know if I'll be able to attend it. I got a lot of stuff going on and I left the event and then I was kicking myself for the whole rest of the year for not joining it. And, um, and, and it's funny because one of the things that I had identified even back then was if you want to get close to somebody, 
the best way to get close to somebody, no matter who it is, is figure out if they've created a paid channel for accessing them. And so there's usually, no matter who it is, there's a paid channel for accessing them. It might be that they sell their time for consulting, but most super successful people don't do that. So it might be that they have um, some sort of group mastermind. It might be that they own a cigar club. It might be that they, uh, that they do speaking. So you could hire them to speak for a group and then arrange time to spend with them. But, but what is the paid channel of access that they have? And Ryan and Perry's paid channel and access was um, this thing called War Room. So I'm kicking myself for not joining it. The whole year I wait and I'm like, I'm going to go to the next one. I'm going to join it right away and then probably leave because that's, I know that's what I want to do. I know if I partner with these guys, I can do really cool things. They, they plug into a lot of other things that I was doing really well. And so I went the second time and, um, and said, you know, hey, I, I just want to join and they were like, you can't. I was like, what? Wait, what do you mean you can't? It's full. And I was like, no, we haven't printed the forms yet. And I was like, oh, okay. Sales prevention department. Love it. Okay, no problem. <laughs> so, uh, so I ended up joining and, um, and that, was, that was my paid channel for access because there were only like, I think, 20 people in this group. And um, I invested, I think, $25,000 to be a part of it. And so, I, but I knew that if I, had the chance to be one of only 20 people instead of one of seven or 800 people at that event, that I'd have a really good chance of having direct connections. And then there were, I think, three or four meetings a year for two days where you spend time in that group with them. So I decided then that I needed to stand out in that. Um, and there's, there's a long, long story for it. But ultimately, throughout the next three years, I was a member of that group. And I just gave to the group and I gave to Ryan and Perry and whenever they, I have, you know, I'm a recovering attorney, recovering accountant, recovering lots of business things. So I have, uh, I have a pretty good set of skills that, that aren't generally present in that industry. And so I would just help advise them whenever I could, whenever they had a challenge, I never asked for any money for doing it. And, um, they had a person they had hired to be the CEO of the business that ultimately, um, you know, they, they went their separate ways. And they came to me and said, Ryan and Perry came to me and said, you know, would you like to be a partner in the business? Would you like to buy in the business? I said, absolutely. So that's, that's kind of that story was, is how, and it's the same thing with Sam and uh, Oliver with Big Block and Kent Clothier with Real Estate Worldwide. And, and most of the businesses I own part of is I start out by simply helping. Uh, I show that I have lots of value to give. And then people say, how can we get you involved in the business? I love that. So what would you give it? Like what advice would you give to someone who's looking to start that journey, but they don't have yet 25,000 to invest in a mastermind or they don't have a big network. Like where would someone start so that they become get, get their foot into the door with people like that? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, it's just value. So it's, it's wherever you can, you have to identify, be creative, in identifying the kind of value that you can bring. If you don't have money, let's say that uh, uh, speaking is a great example. So uh, a lot of people who are successful speak because they want to give back and it's a profitable way to, you know, to use your time. And it also exposes you to a large audience. So there's a lot of benefits to it. Um, and even very, very successful people like Warren Buffett and, you know, uh, and Elon Musk do speak. They don't do it very often, but they do. So 
the, the thing I would say is that you, if, if you can't afford to hire them yourself, then why not work at helping introduce them to people who can hire them? Why not provide value that way? There's always value you can provide. And the easiest thing, if you don't have any money, is to be a connector. But be a connector for value, not a connector for a fee. Don't try to play the middle and say, you know, I'll connect you to this person if you pay me X percent of that deal. Because I, I find that to be like a, a lot of people do that. And the people that do that, that I know don't make very much money because they're not then positioning themselves as an adder of value. They're positioning themselves as a vendor, as a broker, as a fee earning person. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're a value giving person, then you'll build up a, uh, you know, a deposit of um, goodwill that you can then later tap by saying, hey, could I just sit down with you for 10 minutes? I know I've hooked you up with these five uh, presentations or these five speaking engagements or whatever. That'd be one way to do it. There's a million ways, but that's the one that immediately comes to mind. That's amazing advice. Um, and it's, it's crazy to think that like you had, you, you know, it's not crazy, but I can definitely see how it happened is how you, you paid to be in this mastermind, but then not only did you just pay just to take, but you also deposited all those value, value nuggets, value advice, value knowledge. And then whenever they needed someone, you didn't, like you said, you didn't broker the deal. You didn't just say, okay, I'm going to pay you money. And then this is going to be a relationship is going to be monetary. But instead they came to you and said, Hey, looks like we need somebody. Are you able to step in because of, because of that mindset, because of that abundance mindset versus the taker mindset? Yeah, I think the key is that think if you think if you're thinking truly strategically, which I would advise everyone to do, that you want your relationships to be relational, not transactional. If they're transactional, it's I'm going to do this for you in exchange for this that you're going to do for me. If they're relational, it's I'm going to do this for you because I want to help you. Mm-hmm. And if something comes of it, cool. But if nothing ever comes of it, I'm equally cool. And if you can do that, it's a it's a longer game philosophy, but the payoff is exponentially higher with relational capital than transactional capital. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, you have multiple businesses, an incredible podcast, and many other avenues of valuable content that you distribute amongst the public. What's the best way for people to follow and connect with you? Oh, uh, my podcast is called Business Lunch. So that's a good way if you're a podcasty person as I am. And uh, I have a website, Roland Frazier, R-O-L-A-N-D, F as in Frank, R-A-S as in Sam, I-E-R.com, Roland Frazier. Uh, I'm on all the socials with forward slash Roland Frazier. So LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, all Snapchat, all of those places. So um, that's that's the easiest way to do it. You can come to Traffic and Conversion Summit where, uh, where I speak. It's one of our conferences that we now own and uh, with another partner. And uh, those are those are probably the best places. Awesome. Roland, thank you so much for all the value and time that you gave today. You are amazing. Oh yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Unleash Your Inner Legend. For more inspiration, make sure to subscribe by going to UnleashYourInnerLegend.com. We'll see you guys next week.